My father's no different than any other powerful man who's responsible for other people. I had this part in the picture. It puts me right back up on top again. This Hollywood big shot's gonna give you what you want. He says there's no chance. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. You know my father? The men are coming here to kill him. Now you wanna get mixed up in the family business? I thought you weren't going to become a man like your father. I never wanted this for you. Fredo, you're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Ever. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Holmes Movies Podcast. My name is Anders Holmes. My name is Adam Holmes. Today, we are going to be talking about the classic gangster epic from director Francis Ford Coppola, The Godfather, adapted from the book by Mario Puzo. Um, You've read the book, haven't you? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's uh, it was a bestseller. I mean, and 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 um, I mean, we can get into all of that. But uh, why are we talking about the Godfather? Because it's turned fifty years old. It came out in March nineteen seventy two. So Puzo goes to Bob Evans, right, and says he was the head of Paramount at the time. Yeah, well, yes, yeah. Bob Evans is at Paramount. Um, See the head of the studio, or is he sort of the director of something? I don't know. Like he's. I think from what I from what I gather in the book that he wrote, basically runs the studio. Yeah, he ran the studio, and I think he, you know, he he came from being an actor, and then he sort of got into the studio system, and he was he was he was a fucking glorified extra. But yeah, yeah, but that's what he talks about in his book. Of course, Uh, that's what he would call himself. (laughs) Yeah, and then he he was you know he was head. I mean, he was behind many films like. The Godfather and also movies like Love Story and Chinatown and he was in a relationship with Ali McGraw but then she left him for Steve McQueen as you would um yeah he's a but like handsome yeah man. so um well Bob Evans is quite a handsome man as well in fairness but like yeah. um yeah so um Bob Evans is basically like the he he thinks of himself as the Urban Thalberg essentially of Paramount at this point pretty much yeah owned by this um Gulf Western company that's owned by Charlie, what's his name? Charlie Bluehorn or something. I've got the Peter Biskin book here. I'll look him up. Um, yeah, yeah Bluehorn. Charlie Bluehorn is this Austrian like money guy who owns this great, and he's quite shady, um, but not in like a mobster way. Just in that he's like villainous and cr- he's like he's like a Bond villain. He has like a uh, he has all these like sh- shipping and mining and whatever concerns in like the Caribbean and stuff, and he has essentially like it's really gross like he he has this like island that he goes to and there's all sorts of like black like servants and essentially like neo slaves that like wait on him and stuff and it's really weird uh, at least according to biskin's book um and he's Ugh. the like guy who he's sort of you know he's bankrolling this stuff and he's you know but paramount is such a tiny part of his operation but you know it makes him relatively little money but he has all the power over this studio um so that's interesting uh and so his say, you know, they need to kind of get his say so on stuff. Um, so yeah, so Puzo is this like weird, like um, pulp writer with a gambling addiction who comes to Bob Evans and is like, I need the money. Uh, and Evans is like, at least this is according to Evan. And he's like, okay, well, um, what do you got? And he's like, a gangster film uh, about gangster story about Italians. And he's like, eh, it sounds crap, but okay, like whatever. And um, 
And at least from reading about it, it seems that when they decided to like buy the option to make this film, they didn't count on the book becoming a bestseller. They thought they could just like sort of make it into a, a you know, just a quick and dirty picture, one that wasn't going to cost a lot of money. Yeah, like a B-movie that would um, sort of be a reminiscent of the Edward G. Robinson gangster films of the 30s or something like that. Yeah, or like just a sort of, yeah, almost like a sort of early 70s version of a, like an exploitation film or something. Like, just something quick and dirty, and if it's a hit, great, but if it's not, you know, just something, then we can move maybe, on. Maybe, yeah, even something along the same lines as Bonnie and Clyde or... Maybe was Dillinger that did that come out at the same time around this time? No, I think it came out later. I can't remember. But anyway, like they're not counting on the the Godfather being a big project. Anyway, then the book comes out and it becomes a bestseller and it sits in the charts ranges. And yes, I have read the book and it is it's weird because it's very obsessed with sex. It's very obsessed with like the sort of trappings of um, the mafia world. Um, and it's obsessed with character and delving deep into character, not just like the concept of character, but their backstory. So like Al Neary, who's a minor character in the films, gets like a whole chapter to like discuss his backstory. And I think that's part of in there. It's like, it's not the greatest book you'll ever read, frankly, in my opinion. Um, but in there are some of the germs of what makes the film interesting, you know, that it really, you know, a little bit like John le Carre's spy novels that are just as much about the story as they are about like the craft of being a spy, the life, the sort of mm -hmm. mise-en-scene of being a spy. I feel like this book is so much about like, what what's it like to be a gangster? How does the world actually work? And and so on and so forth. You know, he, he makes this book and I guess people buy it, you know, and, and keep buying it. And then Paramount are like, oh shit, you know, we've got to make a... We've got to make more of an effort. And by, I'm not sure exactly when it comes in the chronology, but Bob Evans has decided that he's going to pick Coppola, Francis yeah. Ford Coppola, as his director. And Coppola is not necessarily at this point a, a, a household name, although he's making a name for him. He's, he's, he's seen as a bit of a wonderkind, but he's not really done anything. Yeah, I mean, I think he direct, he's only really directed... I think it's three yeah three films he did a movie called dementia 13 which recently there was a blu-ray of his director's cut which is something that he's had some involvement with um a movie called you're big you're a big boy now which is a comedy from uh, 1966 uh finian's rainbow which is a movie with fred astaire it's part of a yeah. it's part of a box set with some of fred astaire's movies that i have and then he also did another movie called the rain people so he's done four films and james khan and robert deval are in the movie and George Lucas worked on that film. So him and George Lucas, they had this, they had a really kind of close relationship. They were sort of working with each other. And I think um, uh, Coppola had a lot- to start their own independent thing, American yeah, Zertrope. American Zertrope and uh, Coppola helped him out with uh, THX 1183, which Robert Duvall has a, he's the lead actor in that film. So they were sort of helping each other out and give editing and not helping, just giving like I ideas on how to, you know things in post-production and films and stuff like that pretty much like everybody in the new hollywood era from yeah, they're you all know, part of that they're all part yeah. of that clique aren't they with De Palma and scorsese and stuff aren't they they're all living in the same house and just Probably. kind of pitching ideas on uh off each other and things like that and um yeah so he was pretty low on a lot of people's lists i guess i think it i think uh from what i've gathered on looking through some of the wikipedia stuff that peter bogdanovich he was in contention or he was he was a contender for the for directing the film but um they went with uh francis ford coppola who was 
32 when he was making the first movie. So, um, you, you know, he was, I think he was slightly broke at the time. And I think he was just, you know, I think he was, they would, they gave him a chance to make the film. And uh, as they yeah, say, the, the, as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> well, the rest is history, but there is an interesting story in between because it's like Bob Evans has to kind of bend over backwards to get Coppola into this role of the director, right? Like he, as the producer, yeah. but then after that, Coppola turns around and makes his life hell. Yeah, because exactly. Coppola is like, I want a bigger budget. I want more time. I want to set this film in the 1940s. I want Gordon Willis to shoot it so no one can fucking see anything. I want, you know, I want, you know, I want to have all this stuff, right? Like, and and he's and he's he's so stubborn and um and Very you know, we can talk about we can talk you know we can talk about the ways in which he actually sounds like a bit of a megalomaniac on set and caused a lot of problems where there didn't need to be any. But basically, yeah. Robert Evans raises all these 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 barriers and you'd think normally well you'd arrive at some kind of compromise but basically everything that coppola fights for he gets uh he gets gordon willis he gets the the italian like you know that this is going to be cast with italian americans and we're not going to have cookie cutter extras we're going to have people who look like real people like the guy who plays luca brasi who they essentially got straight out of fucking prison to like play uh you know uh play this role and like people who look who have the faces and the voices yeah. to play italian american gangsters from the 1940s and it's not like a sort of hey a macaroni pizza uh you know it's like actually yeah, yeah where's your messiah now huh yeah yeah not not edward g robinson and not like mario but like actual you know proper sort of um uh, new york accented people yeah. you know which james khan is, is great at and 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 well, everyone in the cast is great but like um james khan is not even italian like it does that really well and um and it, yeah, and so it's like it's it's quite interesting because he you know Coppola makes Evans's life miserable for for the whole um, yeah production and post production, and so it's just so funny to me that you know Evans goes out on a limb for this guy and then you know it blows up in his face. But they all they all get this film out of it. So should we talk about um, the casting actually? Yeah. Seeing as we mentioned that, yeah, we should. Um, I mean, just briefly a little before we go on to that, there in the book, The Kid Stays in the Picture, in one of the chapters uh, towards the end of the book, um, are you familiar with the movie Cotton Club? It's a couple of film and it was a huge disaster and a uh, big flop. And uh, that recently there was a director's cut, which is a, which is actually better than the original that came out in the 80s. And that in the book, there's like all these like telegrams in between Coppola and Robert Evans, where they just have this really like, bitchy back and forth between each other where it's like you said this and blah blah blah, blah. and then bob evans is like what is wrong with you that why did you what, what why are we going like this and it's just like them kind of making it worse with each message and stuff and you could really get a sense that their relationship was really at this point kind of bad and um well and i i think a lot of that animosity came from the godfather like i think, I think so yeah from working together on this picture and for um you know, from Evans taking credit for stuff that, in Coppola's view, yeah. he shouldn't have taken credit for, and vice versa. And and I also think, in fairness, Evans went from this boy wonder, you know, the the the, the, the Irving Thalberg kind of character to kind of a washed up, drugged up kind of <laughs> failure in some ways. You know, whereas Coppola became you know deservedly question mark but at least you know based on he has made four unimpeachably 
great, well, three great films. I guess you could put in a, a question mark at Apocalypse Now, but without question, Godfather 2 yeah. and Godfather 1 and The Conversation are three of the greatest films in the 1970s. And so he's kind of become Hollywood royalty where the, I don't know yeah. that many people know who Bob Evans is anymore. Anyway, the casting. Yeah, so one member of the cast uh, who a lot of people are like, really, you want him? Uh, that was Marlon Brando to play well, Don I mean, Vito. That was, that was the that was the like what the fuck? Actually, no, he, <laughs> him and Pacino were the big like what are you doing? Kind well, of. I mean, cast. Pacino. I mean, Pacino was at risk of being fired like every single day. Like they were really, you know, at, at this point, the only really big thing that Pacino was in was the Panic in Needle Park. I mean, he yeah. hadn't he hadn't really been tested yet, and I think they really had to fight for him to be in the film and. You know, this is, you know, Diane Keaton, who was on the Graham Norton show one time, she even said they had to fight to keep him in, into the film, or Coppola had to fight to keep him into the movie and stuff. Keep him into the movie? Keep him in um, the movie. Sorry, keep him in the movie. Uh, keep, him right, I, uh, keep him right in the celluloid, so he's, you know, there for life. Yeah, <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I mean, yeah, they have to. They, they get they get the 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 theater crowd from New York essentially, and, and they yeah. start casting them. But let's start with Brando because Brando is really interesting. Brando at this point is um, box office poison, damaged goods to put it mildly. Um, they said that about was, Orson Welles for the Third Man. Yes, um, and they were right. Um, but they also got a good <laughs> performance out of him, and they're right about Brando too because he was a fucking nightmare in, in the nineteen sixties. I mean, he he was he was terrible to work with. And he got worse. I'll tell you that much. He got oh, worse. Yeah, yeah, he definitely got worse. But fucking hell, like he's he's such a lunatic already, and um, and like he's already, you know, I mean, he's really gonna. Th these chickens are really gonna come home to roost in Apocalypse Now, a film which I think Brando helps to ruin. Um, but um, you know, uh, in any case, we're not going there. But like, that's for a different one, episode. It yeah, it worked. Yeah, well, whenever we'll do that in like eight years or whatever. Yeah, apocalypse not turns fifty, but it works in this film, and um, and it works kind of in spite of itself. And but it, but I also think it works because for whatever reason, it's a bit like when Robert Mitchum kind of decided that he cared about something like the Night of the Hunter. Yeah, and went from being like uncooperative and lazy to actually working his ass off to do you know, um, to do a performance. And I feel like Brando does that from the beginning. And so there's that anecdote where. I think it is Charlie Bluehorn, the head of Gulf Western, who sees the tape of Brando pushing the tissue into his mouth and doing the shoe polish in his hair. And he's like, who is this fucking insane person that you're showing me? And Coppola's like, Marlon Brando. And he's like, no, 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 no fucking way that we're not having here. And then he looks at him a bit more and he's like, actually, this could work. <laughs> this, is, I mean, this is so crazy. It might work. But they had, didn't they, didn't they say like, he only got a flat salary and he, well, he decided to take a, a, a salary, not a percentage of the gross, which was a very silly idea. Yeah, he didn't. He, yeah, that, he didn't get. Yeah, he, I think that I think I think he was a little bit annoyed with how much he was actually getting for the film, and I think that's well, it one. His, it was his decision. He signed away the rights to get a percentage of the film's um, gross, which was obviously. Very, I think that, very I, think that I think that might be. Uh, I think that might be true. I haven't. I can't yeah. really remember, but that might well, be the case. But um, I think I think well. yeah, but I think salary was also an issue into why he didn't come back for a brief scene at the end of Godfather Two, which never happened. Oh, there were lots of yeah, and actually that scene ends up working better because Brando's not in it. Um, yeah. The um, so Brando's like a really big risk, um, and I think 
was already showing some of the reasons why he was tough to work with. You know, they had to tape his lines. There's that photo of the lines taped to the front of Robert <laughs> Duvall's costume, isn't it? <laughs> that is hilarious. That photo is so funny. I, it, that, it's just like, oh my God, like what is going on? Did he, I mean, it's, it's, it's even worse on Apocalypse Now. He just like improvised the fuck out of like so many moments in that movie. Well, and he hadn't read the book famously yeah like, and, you know, and they anyway. had to like and they had to film all that that's a different story and everything like that yeah. let's not go to apocalypse now that's, this um... is this is an actor who they actually did think about like coppola was even him or brando Lawrence olivier so that would have been interesting and the studio pushed ernest borgnine george uh, george c scott mm-hmm. anthony quinn mm, that could i could see that working orson welles no (laughs) (laughs) and ironically enough who did actually he actually ended up starring in the movie as a different character uh richard conti i heard richard conti got cast because martin scorsese's mum wanted him in the film is that is that just an apocryphal story i don't know if that's true i might look into that i love richard conti you should put richard conti in the film Uh, i'm not sure that's how martin scorsese's mother sound i'm just doing an impression of martin scorsese no it's actually quite well it's it's slightly you're not too far off actually Okay, right. Anyway, um, so yeah, if you remember, I mean, if, you remember the, if you remember the the dinner scene in God in Goodfellas where they're sitting around the table uh, and stuff, I vague vaguely. Um, we can we can talk about Goodfellas at the end. I yeah, um, yeah. So like oh, the other casting. I mean, I feel like the studio really wanted to make a film with no Italians in it. They had Robert Redford, uh, you know, pegged for for uh, Michael and stuff like that. You know, it's it's like what we get. We need these people with black hair and with you know olive yeah. skin to play these roles and and so good that we have these um these people obviously brando's not italian american but he he works he just it, it mm. works and i feel like yeah you could probably make the case that the film would have been really good with Lawrence olivier in that role uh but i don't know do we need to we don't need to speculate brando is an iconic and he wins the oscar and of course that leads to yeah a, a, another famous oscar moment um with the um What's her name? Uh, a little further. Uh, the, anyway, the Native American activist who, who goes on stage to uh, decry the treatment of uh, indigenous people in films and also the treatment they were getting from the US government at the time, which was, you know, a great piece of performance activism, I thought. Um, I, love the, I love the way Robert, uh, Roger Moore and, and Liv Ullman handle it like with such grace. And um, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Um, and, you know, they had to keep Clint Eastwood and John Wayne from going after her at the Oscars as well. Clint Eastwood too. Oh God, yeah. Weird. I even want those two coming at you. Anyway, um, uh, so other casting. Um, the the other big one is the other big one they really have to fight for, as you say, is Pacino. Um, untested stage actor, very young, doesn't do himself any favors because every time he meets with someone, he's basically incoherent and just stares at the floor and is like a pain in the ass. He's a tiny man. Actor. He's a very very tiny yeah. man. He's a tiny tiny little guy, um, but. I mean, that's got to be considered one of the most inspired pieces of casting in the history of cinema. I yeah. mean, because it's one thing to go, you can see the impulse behind saying, okay, we've got this washed up former superstar in yeah. Marlon Brando. We're going to do the comeback and people are going to come because they, they recognize his name and they're going to come out of curiosity. No one knows who Al Pacino is. No one's seen him before and no one knows if he's going to be any good. And this character has to carry the film. Yeah. I don't think it was, I think people, the studio weren't really on board with Pacino up until the restaurant scene. Well, they'd say that. 
I think, I, honestly, I think a lot of people say that and I think they say it in hindsight. I, I don't think anyone was really comfortable until the film was a hit. That's my speculation. I, 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 my sense of it is that a lot of people like to tell that story that, oh, after the restaurant scene, no one ever asked any questions. It's like, no one could, could I mean, they couldn't tell. They must have been shitting themselves about, about having this, this little dude, you know, playing this part. Anyway, everyone, everyone, everyone at the premiere must have been like, <laughs> like that. Well, there, yeah, I mean, there was one preview that didn't go well, um, but then the rest of them did, so that's fine. But yeah, I mean, Pacino is incredible. He goes on to have an incredible career. Um, of doing a lot of shouting in the 90s, but also makes a lot of other iconic films, including the sequel to this film. Um, he's incredible in it. Yeah, and gangster films have pretty much been part of his life from, you know, this to Scarface to Kalito's Way. Yeah, but I mean... It's Don, Donnie Brasco as well. He hasn't been typecast. He hasn't, you know... No, no, he hasn't. I think that was... I think that's always the... Yeah, it's a shame. A lot of people kind of got stuck in that, especially uh, Richard Castellano, who played um, Clemenza. He got kind of caught in that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, I mean, you could say that Pacino's career has been very um, disproportionately represented by either gangsters or cops, because then you think about Serpico and Heat. Yeah. And, yeah. So, eh, I don't know. But anyway, we get a great cinematic presence uh from this film you know i don't think necessarily that pacino would have broken through if it hadn't been for coppola and for this movie so um that's you know he owes his career in some ways to this this yeah, picture does. so it's um that's pretty cool so other other members of the cast quickly we, we mustn't run too long on this but yeah. um john Cazale has to be mentioned yeah just, just really amazing I mean, even he, even okay. he has like a really like small performance in this movie. He really just has such a great screen presence. And I was just watching a film again as well, and the assassination attempt on Vito in the movie, um, that scene hit quite a lot different from, differently for me now. I don't know why, because it just like because the, the, I never noticed at the end before the scene cuts to to cuts to the like Al Pacino and Diane Keaton walking out of the cinema where he goes like Papa like that. I didn't really notice that the first few times. That really kind of got me after watching this scene. Just the way that he says that line is just oh, it's a it's a great yeah. piece of acting from from Casale yeah. and you, you you feel for him so much the way he fumbles with his gun and and he's so crap and yeah. Oh. And it's so it's such a great setup for the second film. Um, I'm smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm um, your kid brother. You're my kid brother, Mike, and I was passed over. I um, I love um, I love Robert Duvall in this film as well. Yeah, Robert um, Duvall is amazing as well as Tom Hagen. Um, very very uh, important uh, in the first half of the film especially in the first act where he you yeah. know he has that great trip to hollywood uh which is also just a such a wonderful kind of establishing um plot line um you've got your uh, you've got james khan as well james khan's very very uh volcanic in this film yeah um, but i think he, he needs to be he needs to yeah. do yeah exactly everything needs to be i also think uh talia shire uh coppola's sister connie is fabulous in this she is um, so so good that scene with her and carlo where he's um losing his bananas and you know he beats her up is just is yeah is searing um and um and of course diane keaton is 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 in this film and um and it's her kind of 
expression that haunts us at the end as the door is closed on on her and and she yeah. realizes what she's married you know yeah i i love that bit of dialogue um i think it's in like the last uh few minutes of the movie it's it's going into the third act it's when michael and dying uh, michael and uh, Kay reunite after he's been away in sicily and he's just you know getting around to meeting her again and um they're having that sort of conversation with one another and he's like they're talking about like my father is no different than any powerful man any man with power like a president or a senator and Kay is like do you know how naive you sound presidents and senators don't have men killed and then michael's like oh who's being naive Kay? <laughs> right i mean and it's i mean there's that the politics of the film are really interesting and i want to I, I i'd love to cover that if we have time but um mm. the um uh the the, the 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 interesting thing about that scene is also when he says i need you and mm. it's like what do you need her for like you know is it is it really romance i don't think it is you know it's not like his the love of his life just got blown up in sicily yeah um, exactly so um so yeah but she she does it she gets the assignment she nails it she's um she's fantastic so um so yeah so that's kind of like the main kind of youthful end of the cast obviously i i would be remiss if we didn't mention sterling motherfucking hayden who shows up <laughs> In captain, captain mccluskley uh, sorry oh, captain McCluskey. Punk. <laughs> <laughs> how's the food here <laughs> yeah how's the italian food at this italian restaurant or whatever the hell he says uh, try the veal oh, he's so good he's that punch as well uh, Have, has, has there ever been a more thump, like punch sound effect in the history of film yeah uh, must have like hit him once like during a take accidentally and just kind of carried on with it it's it's just it's just um he's a very towering man i've been watching a few of his movies on the criterion channel and like he's a tall tall man yeah he he's he's an amazing creature and he has this um i mean he also has a weird you know he, he's he's also a pretty strange guy sort of brando style um yeah you know i think did a lot of drinking probably did some drugs as well um yeah a lot of sailing around the world for some reason um i think he probably was he had he had quite an active second world war um experience as well so maybe he was maybe he was carrying some trauma from that or something but he has this string of kind of comebacks in the um in the 70s and in the even in the 80s because he's in he's in um nine to five (laughs) yeah Um, and also uh you know he was in he's in the long goodbye but then he also shows up in uh bernardo bertolucci's movie 1900 which was like also another epic movie yeah so he's he does that he has that kind of late career comeback and this is this is one of those um one of those one of the, an example of that and i i remember i remember the first time i watched this i was like god is that robert mitchum and and just because of the voice and um um they do kind no, of look alike a lo- i mean they have yeah yeah they said they aged into the same craggy baritone um yeah um did, but did they have did they ever do a movie together I don't know if there's room for that much like <laughs> chestedness in one. No. Have you ever seen? Have you just on a complete side note? Have you ever seen? I think it's called Terror in a Texas Town. No, um, I, I haven't yet. No, it's a film where Sterling Hayden marches down the street for the final showdown with a harpoon, <laughs> and he kills the bad guy by throwing the harpoon into him. Interesting. 
Yeah, because his dad is a whaler or something. I saw that a long time ago. That's the only bit I can remember. Um, I need to watch that movie now. A lot of interesting films in the 40s and 50s. I mean, he's in some great films as well, like The Killing, uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Killing and um, The Asphalt Jungle, um, Johnny Guitar. Doctor Strange as well. Doctor Strange Love. Oh yeah, Doctor Strange Love, sorry. Not the, not the Marvel, not the, the, not the Marvel movie. <laughs> really a late career comeback. Um, but um, yeah, so anyway, uh, Sterling Hayden. Uh, so the film. Um, music, Nina music. Rosa. And, Nina Rosa's uh, music is amazing. Um, and also, doesn't Carmine Coppola contribute to it? Yeah, I think he does a lot more on the second one. I think, I think he took over scoring duties on that movie. Um, yeah. I think as much as like, Coppola is the director of the movie and he's the mad maniacal captain of the ship and manages to create like this big blockbuster movie and he has all these actors and different personalities kind of bouncing off each other and you know Marlon Brando being commanding even though he probably was a bit of a handful to be you know to have on set uh, and also Pacino and you know having to be tested and all these other actors some established some just kind of up and coming and you know really just getting their big break and I feel like they really add to the film's identity in so many ways but I feel like someone who really does add so much to it is the cinematographer Gordon Willis the prince of darkness yeah just the dark lighting is just so good because I feel like it really adds to the tone of the the story and also just like in in like it adds so much to the evolution of the characters as the movie goes along because i do feel like as more as michael gets into that world part of his face is just like there's some scenes where he especially in the scene with carlo at the end of the film where he's had all the five families whacked you know half of pacino's face is covered in darkness and then you know it's just like the light and the dark kind of competing against each other and him getting further and further into that the more you know people he he has killed and whacked and it, it's such a really i feel like there's such it really adds something to that film and it really you know if you just take like yeah. one little image from the movie it doesn't have to be like with an actor or anything you can easily see oh that's from the godfather it's gordon willis cinematography it really just like you could easily spot that just it's a gorgeous it's a gorgeous gorgeous looking film i mean the production was it ran behind the the studio. Evans and the other people in the, involved were really up Coppola's ass about, you know, for fuck's sake, stop taking so long. And there were a lot of rewrites, and it was. I think it was not an easy production. Um, and Gordon Willis, you know, wanted to do things his way. I mean, Gordon Willis would, you know, light things in a particular, um, you know, in a, you know, it was, it was very difficult to see where you were, um, and I think it caused a lot of tensions with, you know actors and the director and so on and, and but 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 it is you know again it's like you you know they they talk about in interviews you know the the bright exterior of that wedding at the beginning and then the darkness at the heart mm -hmm. of it you know, you've got to see that darkness it's like and films at that point were lit in this very garish way like you look at hollywood in the 60s and whether it's the sound of music whether it's like you know Lawrence of Arabia, where it's anything like the lighting is very like full, like there's no, you know, there's no darkness in it really. And, like gone are the days of like film noir or whatever, and um, uh, and you are you are now like in this one, it just thrusts you into this dark world, and it and it helps like evoke the period, but also just it really, as you say, it speaks about the themes of this film of a descent into darkness and moral um, 
moral ambiguities and complexities. Well, well, not just ambiguities, but like just like a loss of any kind of sense of morality. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, Gordon Willis is, is absolutely an, MV, an MVP, as they say. And um, should have, did he win best cinematography for this? Uh, let me just check should've. that really quickly. But it's, um, um, but I mean, there's that famous story of um, where Robert Evans is watching the rushes and he's like, what am I looking at here? Am I wearing sunglasses? Like, I can't see anything. <laughs> oh, he wasn't even nominated for this movie. Well, there you go. I think I think that tells you a lot about how unprepared people were for it. Um, uh, but it's a huge, it's a huge part of what makes the film um, successful, um, as is the music, as is the editing. Um, there's some, you know, there's some um, dispute about who's responsible for the runtime um because Coppola submitted a cut then it was cut down and then it was recut to make it the full three hours yeah and some say that actually Evans had a role in that and some say it was all Coppola but you know I think the story is probably somewhere in between we'll never know the truth I think you had a bunch of people kind of cutting stuff out putting stuff back in because I feel like a lot of people wanted more and more and more and I feel like there's some stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor and I feel like the Sicily. Yeah, I've, seen some, I've seen some deleted fil- scenes from this film, and they definitely don't need to be in there. I mean, a lot uh, of the Sicily stuff, I think, got cut. Sicily is the one area of this film which starts to feel a little self-indulgent. It's obviously useful, um, and it's a little bit like it's kind of tourist porn. Um, and you know, bit, you yeah. get the different, you get the different music. You know, the famous love theme. You get all this other stuff. Um, you get some gratuitous nudity, you get all this, you know, and you get this kind of Italian, like, like, or Italian kind of folk mafia stuff. And it, yeah, it's definitely got a role to play. But I mean, if it had gone on much longer, you would, you would have questions about that. You would have um, been, you would have been feeling it and everyone would have been like, we're going to lose so much money. <laughs> why? And also just, well, I mean, I think they, the problem with it was that Paramount didn't really have any money to lose at that point. So it's yeah, like, they had a they were really taking a big gamble on this movie, and the movie did very well. I mean, that's the thing; it broke all these records, and um, it um, it was it a made blockbuster a hit, shit ton of movie, yes, and it made a shit ton of money, more money than Gone with the Wind, and more money than any other film had made. Um, yeah. Gone with the Wind still adjusted for inflation, but basically, The Godfather at this point is the blockbuster, and this is where it gets interesting because. Yeah. This film was distributed differently from the way films had previously been distributed by the Hollywood studios. And that was um, this, what was the other guy that I just mentioned? I always forget his name. Um, Frank Yablans. They have these weird names. Um, Bluehorn and Yablans. Um, So Yablans is like, we're going to distribute it differently and we're going to put it in more theaters, as they call them, cinemas, I would call them, in the first run and that's going to mean we get more bums on seats because it's a three-hour film. So we can't, if we only distribute it to a certain amount of cinemas, we'll lose money. And and they not just make, they make like an avalanche of cash from doing it this way, but that forever changes the landscape. And so it's actually, you know, it's a point that Biskin makes in his book. And it's a point that a lot of people make that The Godfather helps destroy the new Hollywood in the long run because it sets the precedent for more, 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 you know, that these films need to be blockbusters. Now, the film that ultimately I think really kills uh, the creativity of the seven, of the 60s and 70s and the excitement of, of the new Hollywood is Star Wars. But Star Wars is kind of building on um, 
the expectation. There's a great term that Biskin uses, by the way, which is genre gentrification, which I really like as a term, um, and which also really applies to this film uh, with the gangster genre, to Jaws with the sort of creature feature, and to Star Wars with science fiction, and um, and how they and how they sort of you know make respectable these these b-movie genres but also you know this is the alchemy for a blockbuster big film full of stars that's also accessible because it's basically a b-film it's not a big historical film it's not you know it's got these high-minded ideas anyone can enjoy it um you know and it's uh and it's exciting and fast-paced and big and you know and it's whatever and it's away from the hollywood studio i mean kind of away from the hollywood studio system but it's like you know, you're not shooting on the back lot of some studio. You're in the cities. You 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 feel like you're in. You feel the 1940s. You like all these movies that go out to all over America or Europe or wherever that you can actually just feel the locations, and it just really kind of it's a it's another kind of sort of movie going experience in some ways. Yeah, and I wouldn't necessarily. I mean, yeah, I think that the Bond films play a part in that and they've been doing that since the 60s as well. Yeah, I think of course. Kind of not being hidebound to the studio has been happening already. But yeah, just this idea of just the bottom line with the, the money that these summer blockbusters can make or these big blockbusters, whenever they come out, can make, I think helps to lead to the picture we've got today, which is kind of a dispiriting one in a lot of ways where you get blockbusters and you get films that are sort of quote-unquote Oscar bait and then you get a lot of films that just go unnoticed because the system is not equitable um yeah i mean it's people a sh- aren't given the opportunity to to gamble you know yeah it's a shame really i mean a lot of the movies you know the, the i really you know some i mean i've seen people online talking about like oh i want to go see nightmare alley but it's not playing at a good time because all the time's been taken up by the new disney film or marvel movie or anything like that and it's a shame because it's like that's a it's a really really good film and it's a shame it, it didn't get a chance to be seen and of course yeah i have to take into account the pandemic and not many people want to go see a very bleak beautiful n- noir movie but i feel like you know the yeah it's just it's it just shows how different the cinematic landscape is even about without what- the pandemic the the game the the dice are loaded in favor of the big you know of these marvel films of these disney films or whatever because any film with um, an ip basically or with just an existing franchise or just with a name you know who follow this formula of like here's the big movie that you're going to look forward to you know but it's um you know it's worth remembering that it comes out of the creativity of a uniquely gifted generation of american filmmakers that you know you were talking about men who and they were all men unfortunately who um you know who who were utterly you know they were they were they were utter originals in that they um made these films the likes of which no one had seen but they were building so concretely on what had come before them on that first generation of big hollywood sound directors um and um yeah it's just a shame it went the way it did but anyway the godfather there it is it's the ultimate um it's the ultimate gangster film in many ways it's the ultimate family film um the politics are interesting aren't they i feel like in many ways the godfather indulges in a kind of conservatism around um certain sort of values around honor and around like it's there's a lot of poof, like toxic masculinity in the film but also i feel like there's a lot of like machismo in the film's politics around like violence and patriarchy and stuff so something anyway to consider um but it definitely, it definitely has like a, it, it definitely feels of its time also in terms of all the Watergate stuff that's happening at that point. Yeah, but also it's interesting like how 
you know, the way that they talk about Vito and how, how many of all of his connections, you know, to politicians and stuff and how long he's been working on that. It's just, it's kind of interesting and sort of hint to that, oh, this guy's yeah. like the big deal. Right, and like talking about, you know, systemic corruption and so on. I mean, it's it's yeah. cynical, but it still feels, it's not a radical, it's not like a left-wing film. Um, no, it doesn't. So, so that's, that's interesting. Um, so anyway, um, I feel like we've, we've talked a lot about the film um yeah. what a should we like should we cover off some fun stuff at the end yeah let's do that um do you have favorite scenes scene or scenes or well let's just do one each because we, we the listeners have things to do yeah um my favorite scene i was thinking about this i think my favorite scene is the hospital scene where michael yeah goes to his father's bedside when he's been shot and there's no one there and then the guy shows up and, and you think oh god it's going to be a hitman and i'm in zaldi baker <laughs> and uh, but then of course sterling hayden shows up why are you little punk and um biffs him and yeah. um i love that scene um, it's, it's I, a good moment of tension especially when he goes into the the hospital one i think some back room and he hears like the micro the the sorry the 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 radio, the vinyl player that's it's skipping on the lines and stuff, and you see the sandwiches that have that have just been unwrapped and it's not eaten, and it's so tense. No one's there except for one nurse, and it's such a like eerie scene, especially like with the way you hear the echoing of the footsteps. It's good sound design music, as well. The music's so yeah, good. it's Every, so and the lighting, Gordon Willis again. Yeah, it's a real fun. like crossing the threshold in screen if we're you if we're going to use a screenwriting term for michael in that sort of moment i think without that scene you wouldn't get him at the restaurant shooting salazzo and mccluskey no what about you what's your favorite scene um i would probably go the obvious and just say my favorite scene is the the restaurant scene in the way that it just builds up to it because it's such a quietly tense moment because you really feel like because you know, at this point, Michael hasn't killed anyone yet. He is just, you know, college boy with your Ivy League suit <laughs> and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're, you're just sitting there. I mean, every time I watch this movie, I'm going to be like, oh, he's going to drop the gun. Oh, he's going to drop the gun. Oh, the gun's not going to be there because they went to the wrong restaurant and everything like that. Because the way that it builds up, you just feel like, oh, God, it's he's going to find it in the wrong place or something. But And there's no music, only until the end. And... Um, and then it's just like focusing on him and focusing on his face and you hear the train and you hear like the screeching of the wheels and everything. And then just, and it's like, it doesn't really feel like the violence is never in any way. I don't feel like it's glamorized at all in a lot of ways. And it's, it never lingers on the violence too much that I would say, I don't know. No, I don't think, I think the violence when it happens in this film is quite shocking, uh, especially in that final orgiastic scene where all the guys are whacked. Yeah. Um, you know, that the, it's not, it's not, um, no, it's not, it doesn't feel gratuitous. It feels ugly and sordid and it's cinematic, yeah. though it is operatic. It, it has a certain beauty to it. And so, do, so does the violence in this scene i mean that's the other thing i mean we could talk about the sort of technical use of squibs and stuff which is very impressive in this one we don't want to drill down that far yeah um, i think that's a very good choice of scene very good choice very good choice um do you have a favorite <laughs> performer in the movie who's your who's who's your favorite like my fate the it's so hard to pick um like a sort of joke favorite of course would be like sterling hayden just because he's i get such a kick out of him but he's not 
you know, he's not in the film that long. It's not, yeah. it's not really fair to say. I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know what I'll say, actually, like, it's so hard to pick from the main cast. I will, I will say, what's his name? The guy who plays Clemenza? Uh, Richard Castellano. Richard Castellano just nails it. And so, yeah. like, of course, of course, I think Al Pacino's performance <clears> is the <throat> best one in the film. I think, I think Brando's performance is amazing. I think Casale, Duval, I was going to say Duval as well, but for some, Castellano for me, just like some, and Abe Bogoda too. Let's not forget about Abe Bogoda. Yeah. Castellano really, I don't know, sums up from that very first scene at the wedding where he's drinking wine out of the fucking pitcher. Like, and from that, you know, until the end where he's suddenly solemn and deadly and the pasta scene, you know, the, 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 we was all real proud of you, Mike. I love that line. I love that line so much. And, um, and, you know, oh, he's so good. I just, yeah, anyway, yeah, it's got to be Castellano for me. Yeah. I love that scene where they're firing the gun in the, in the basement. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, we, 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 you know, should have stopped him like Hitler did back in 1923 or 1938. And, and, uh, it's like, uh, <laughs> we should have stopped Hitler. Sorry, I misquoted the line awfully. As he said, so yeah, it's like, you know, you got to stop them at the beginning. Like they should have stopped Hitler at Munich. They should have yeah. let, him, let him, they should have never, they never should have let him get away with that. They were just asking for trouble. Yes, thank you. Sorry, I mangled that. But um, he's, 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 a, he's a brilliant character. He's a brilliant performer in this um and um it's a shame he didn't come back for the second one yeah. but i think you get frank pentangeli then who's even yeah who's exactly too. what about you um i it's a very small uh he has a, i actually forgot he doesn't actually have that many scenes in the movie but i really like richard conti's performance as don barzini just because i feel like there's some really like you know, he's 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 the guy behind the scenes. He's been sort of orchestrating this kind of war a little bit and stuff. Barzini all along. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's just like, especially in that table scene when all the five families are together, where like, you know, Vito, I mean, that scene is, is great too because there's so much kind of going on. It's like, you know, Vito is there because he wants peace because his son has died. But at the same time, you know, he wants to bring Michael home, but also he needs to know who his enemies are. And it's there where he realizes that Don Barzini is the, is the one. Um, blame a few people in this room. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but it's also like when you listen to the dialogue, you kind of feel like Barzini's just kind of, you know, selling himself out a little bit and stuff when he talks about like, you know, what, you know, who Vito is and, and everything. It's such a kind of good scene. And it's also, there's a lot of clever things kind of going on. And, but um it also are you mother- saying Richard Conte is your favorite actor in The Godfather? I mean, sorry, he's, I mean, he's I'm one, he's, he's when, one what, a, what a nut job! Like, I pick, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I pick Castellan. I think I've got a perfectly good reason to pick Clemenza, but you're picking Barzini from The Godfather. I just okay, fine, I'll pick another one just because <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, okay, I do think Richard Conte deserves recognition, but Jesus Christ, <laughs> okay, 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 so um. Who's the guy who plays the the movie the movie uh, producer? Um, Wolf. Uh, Wolf. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wolf. Wolf. Yeah, I actually yeah. like. I actually the greatest like, piece of ass I ever had. And I've had, I've had them all. all. <laughs> you get the hell out of here. You tell him I ain't no band leader neither. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's pretty good. I like that. Like he really does like stand up to uh, men like me cannot be made to look ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. it's John Marley who plays uh, Jack Waltz. Yeah, um, he does a lot with a little. Yeah, 
actually, he was nominated for an Oscar as well at one point. What was that film for? Oh, mm. Love Story. He was nominated for Love Story. Oh, so he's got previous with um, Mr. Bob, um, Mr. Bob Evans. Yeah, I think, this, I mean, there's so many great, I mean, Al uh, Lettieri, who plays Salazzo, and it's just... Uh, yeah, he's great too. He's good. Um, but yeah, also Ava Goda, just that last scene where he's like, tell Michael it was only business. I, I always liked them. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's, he's great It's such too. a kind of like tragic moment, but also it's a real like... Can't do it out. Yeah, that line as well, especially just all the like remorse on like Deval's face. And I feel like that that aspect does play a lot into Godfather okay, so Part 2. Okay, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. Uh, you know what? Carlo. I like Carlo. Why do you pick such shit people? <laughs> Why do you pick one of the people that people like? Carlo's a twat. So fuzzy. Why do you pick? Can't you just pick Robert Duvall? Why do you have to be so fine, 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 fine. Robert Duvall. I like Robert Duvall. <laughs> you, you know like, who I like? Well, the mother. The mother. She's the kindest person in the, in the whole Talia, movie. Yeah, she's very good. Talia Shire is very good. Yeah. I mean, they're all really good. Carlo is, yeah, the guy who plays Carlo is good. But like, is he really like, you're going to like, you're going to single him out as the one, like, performer from the just because I picked Clemenza doesn't mean you have to go more obscure. He's like, you know who I like? I like, <laughs> I like the second of the yeah. two guys with the shotguns who follows Michael around fucking Sicily. Like, oh, Jesus. There's a lot of good like side characters in this movie. I will say that. Yes, there there's are. there. It's a very rich cast. Even Stanley Kubrick mentioned that. Um, Dom Domasino or whatever, who also turns up in the second. Yeah, Joe Spinell, the button man. You know, the one of the the assassins. Yeah, uh, who show, who, yeah, who shows up in a lot of uh, '70s movies like uh, Taxi Driver. Mm. Um, uh, I was going to say, do you have a favorite gadget? But that was for the Bond backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you have made the uh, the the sauce that Clemenza makes in the movie. Yeah, um, I have made the exact recipe for the meatballs and sausages and followed Clemenza's recipe and it's very good with a little um, sugar at the end as the secret this ingredient. film obviously spawns a lot of other imitations it is a yeah. huge influence I do not think you get the Sopranos without this film I don't even think you really get Goodfellas without this film I think this film makes the gangster genre the modern gangster genre what it is um mm -hmm. you know gangster films were a different breed of thing before this film came out so um so yeah mm -hmm. I think um certainly had gave them like a renaissance and there were a lot of and a true renaissance as well because yeah. it wasn't just bringing them back it was bringing them back in a new way mm. and um they were yeah they were never going to be the they were never going to be the same so um i you know the, the, the there's you know the sopranos there's there's goodfellas there's all the stuff what um fat tony you know, on the simpsons that's what I'm just going to get towards today. Yeah. The other thing this film has spawned is references. What's your favorite Godfather reference in popular culture? Uh, my favorite reference. Um, the Simpsons is full of them. Yeah, I know. I mean, my favorite one of The Simpsons is in one of the later episodes where the show started to go a little bit down. It's Joe Mantenga who plays um, Fat Tony. Um, he goes, he's crying, he's hugging someone who's like, I haven't cried this hard since I went to go see Godfather 3. <laughs> Which is funny, because he was in Godfather 3. Yeah, um, he gets good. Yeah, he does. Joey Zaza! Um, have you seen the recut, the, the, the recut version of Godfather 3? Mm -hmm. Apparently it's um, like, it's not, it's not bad. It's not a bad film, it's just a bad Godfather film. Yeah. Um, 
where so what's your favorite uh, my favorite reference um god there's so many it's like uh actually my one of my favorite references is it i mean it, it it's in um it's in zootropolis because one of the characters plays like the marlon brando characters just the way the scene kind of plays out it's quite funny in that in the disney film and um my girlfriend and i felina we like we like that movie quite a, quite a bit and we quote lines from it and stuff so that i like that reference a lot um i mean a godfather reference in the simpsons which i also really like is when bart gets pelted by snow snowballs and it's like when james khan gets killed in the movie and then one person comes up and throws like one snowball down on bart and it's like the scene when he gets kicked after he's killed yeah, yeah. so that reference is really good what's your favorite reference well there's the other one in the in the simpsons is the well that's why you're the godfather yeah. uh, the <laughs> horse's head um so um i can't think of one i know i see them all the time but one I saw recently that took me completely by surprise, and that's why I loved it so much, is an early scene in um, in Rushmore, um, Wes Anderson's film, where um, Jason Schwartzman is being expelled um, and or is being put on a final warning by Brian Cox, who plays the principal. Yeah, the principal, um, and. Um, and he says, how about letting me off, you know, or giving me one more chance just for old time's sake. And he goes, can't do it, Max. And it's just <laughs> such a great, like, if you know, you know, you know, yeah. and it is a wonderful reference. The film is full of references to um, Al Pacino films. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, uh, it's fun to talk about The Godfather. Anyway, it's well, so I, well, well, actually, final thing to think about references. What's your favorite line in the film? What's, because it gets quoted all the time. Like, what's the line? Speaking of quoting films, what's the line you like to quote from this movie? Uh, hmm, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be really. I, I, I don't want to be really obvious, but it's leave the gun, take the cannoli. <laughs> Oh yeah, I love again Clemenza, of course. Yeah. Um, another Clemenza line is like, "Why don't you tell that girl you, uh, you love her?" Like, I love you with all of my heart. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, and for me, um, oh, f for me, it's uh, it might be the um, it might be the Brando. Um, you know, if if my son should, you know you know, slit his throat while shaving or whatever it is he says, I'm going to blame struck, a few people struck, in this room. <laughs> struck by lightning. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, but, um, but no, I think, um, I can't, oh, it's so, it's, I mean, I'd make your first child be a masculine child. I mean, they're all the sort of jokey ones. Yeah. And, but I think it's got to be one of those ones that really kind of, gets to the heart of what this film's about and um and i um and i just I, I can't get away from that what i want what's most important to me is mm. you know where he looks him dead in the eye and he talks and he knows he's going to kill him so what's the point of talking about what yeah. your demands are and it's that moment where again it's like he's it's almost like he's practicing for future yeah. stuff and it's like that bit and um you know that also gets quoted a lot but i love i just i do love the delivery of that line he switches from speaking in italian what i want what i want and um and um is um 
it's 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 i can't think about the words what i want without thinking about pacino in that scene but there's also oh, another great line by the way is uh, oh it was an accident but no one got hurt that's a, <laughs> that's a really good line as well um yeah, i'm sure i'll think about it i'm sure i'll think yeah. about me ones i've 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 not uh thought of um but i yeah. do anyway. i do like um it's not personal sunny it's just business it's strictly yeah. I mean, it's, stri- like, it's, stri- it's those, strictly business yeah that's more like sort of whatever like um yeah um that that gets quotes a lot like you make him an offer you can't refuse like those ones have gone into those have been sort of over quoted you know yeah. um but um it's a Sicilian yeah. message it means that Luca Brazzi's sleeping with the fish sleeps with the fishes yeah yeah yeah, yeah, those ones. I mean, they're like, yeah. And then they, and then they, and then they reference that in Shark Tale, where he's like, "If you don't come to this meeting, she's gonna be sleeping with the fishes, the dead ones." <laughs> That's pretty funny. Actually. Um, it's the only right. joke in that movie that made me laugh out loud. <laughs> Shall we knock this on the head then? And uh... yeah, let's do that. Um, yeah, we'll that him, was the Godfather. Put one in his ear. <laughs> put one in his ear. I'm Mo Green. <laughs> yeah. Michael, you don't come out the last thing talk to a man like Mo Green like that. I was breaking rocks while you were chasing cheerleaders. <laughs> oh, Mo Green. Yeah, that was a great performance. All right. Um, uh, where's Polly? Oh, Polly, you won't see him no more. Okay, Anders, you're, you're just... You're on. You're stuck on quote. Right? Um, please end. Please end <laughs> yeah. the podcast. So yeah, are we, that, are we doing? Are we going to be going back to doing top tens? Yeah, we are going to be doing top tens. Seeing as uh, we are talking about a gangster film, I thought about doing our next top ten about gangster films. But to make it a little bit interesting and less obvious, we are going to. Okay, so the it's going to our next top ten is going to be top ten gangster films brackets, except for we can't mention the godfather or goodfellas oh yeah i'm up for that yeah so we can't so just to make things a little bit easier for, a little bit harder for us but also just being like you know instead of putting godfather at number one or goodfellas at number one or anything like that so other other gangster films that aren't goodfellas and the godfather because yeah the godfather is obviously the best gangster film of all time and, and if, there there are- is a, if there is a second it's either goodfellas or godfather 2 uh so yeah or godfather 3 <laughs> no um that was right. a joke so Let's yeah out of here so do uh subscribe to the podcast uh follow us on twitter at homes movies pod you can also follow us at fabricius 91 and also at northampton dane we're both on instagram um yeah you can send us an email at homes movies podcast at gmail.com i've been anders holmes and I've been at, well, leave the gun, take the cannoli. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> Bada bing! End the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Stop recording. Edit the podcast. Mm. Um, Bye. Let's yeah. <laughs> Michael, do you renounce Satan and all his works? I do renounce him. Don't ask me about my business, Kate. Is it true? <laughs> Take the cannoli.